one walks into a, a, a Gothic church these days in, in Europe or even in the United States, uh, older church, they're kind of dark and kind of gloomy. This church was dark and gloomy, but originally it was a concert of brilliant colors uh, throughout. And that has been restored and it can be seen today. And it gives you an idea of the kind of place this place was meant to be, both as a religious and a secular edifice, and that people were not walking in filled with doom and gloom, but it was a place of celebration. And it's just so colorful and spectacular. Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. Sunny Windowsill, I am so glad to have you here with me today. Thanks for being here. I hope you're working on something or taking a walk or just sitting, having a cup of tea and a in a think. And I'm glad I can be part of that. Today, I have a really interesting guest with me. His name is David Chippy, and he is working with the Church of Saint-Germain-du-Pré in Paris on their foundation. And I have a lot more to say about that, but it's just a fascinating um, conversation because this is a creative podcast, a design podcast. And in that, you know, aspect, there are so many things that fit into that. And this was one when they reached out to me to say, you know, can we, would you be interested in having us on your podcast? I was like, well, this is kind of fascinating. There's some crazy history here. So David knows so much about it and he really digs in and it's fascinating. David has enjoyed a long career in international banking and it was while living and working in Paris in the 1980s that he first took an interest in the church of Saint-Germain-du-Pré and he has been a frequent visitor ever since. The church, the building and its artwork reflects many eras of French history, art and culture. As the oldest church in Paris, it has influenced and shaped people, places, and ideas throughout history, including the famous philosopher Descartes and Sorbonne students and teachers. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Seriously, after you hear this, I encourage you to go to the website and watch the videos, read more about it. I am fascinated. Its architecture is a fascinating compilation of styles as well, from Romanesque arches and capitals to Gothic elements in the nave and the choir. 
Every aspect of the church itself is a testament to French culture and history. Unfortunately, it must contend with the ravages of time, and the overall condition of the church has deteriorated steadily throughout the centuries. Determined to halt this deterioration, the American Friends for the Preservation of Saint-Germain-de-Prés are generating funds to restore and preserve this unique historical monument, and they've done much of it so far. It's really amazing. I haven't been able, well, none of us have been able to travel for a while, but I think after you hear this, at least take a little video tour and then get yourself there. The next time you happen to be walking the streets of lovely Paris. From 2013 to 2016, David was once again a Paris resident, and it was then that he became acquainted with the work of the Fonds de Dotation, the Paris-based fundraising arm for renovating the church. Following his return to the U.S. in 2016, David did volunteer work for the U.S.-based American Friends for the Preservation of Saint-Germain-de-Prés before joining its board in 2017. The foundation works with its French counterparts in Paris at the preservation of the church to fund the restoration of Paris' oldest and most wonderful church and preserve its very rich history. I know it's not necessarily the most wonderful church, but the history is, I mean, I should say there's many wonderful churches, but once I learned about the history, it was built so long ago. Again, the first church, it sat by itself. There was nothing else around it. and now, of course, it's where the Sabona is and everything else, but there was much around it that's no longer there. Just wait till you hear all the stories. It's fascinating. David is now leading the charge on the current Adopt a Saint-Germain star campaign in the United States. You yourself can adopt a star and help preserve Saint-Germain-de-Prés. It's very, very, very cool. So enough of me talking. Here is David. David, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm fascinated to talk to you about this. Well, thank you for having me, Margot. It's, uh, it's a topic and a, a, a subject which is very dear to my heart. So I'm, I'm very eager to get into it with you. I love that. I, I'd love to know kind of how it became something near and dear to you. How, how did it even kind of be part of your conversation and what you're interested in? It's a very good question. And the answer really is quite simple. I have lived on two occasions, two separate occasions in Paris for a total of about 11 years. And on both occasions, I was basically a neighbor, lived very close by to the church, walked by it every single day, spent a lot of time in it, became interested in its history, and then in 2012, I think it was, learned about this nascent project to restore uh, a goodly part of it, to restore and renovate. And that was undertaken by some friends in Paris, and it has grown to a major project, and we're doing pretty well. But I was a neighbor uh, in the neighborhood. That's an excellent neighborhood as well. It's not a bad one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was doing some reading on the church, and, and it's hard to even wrap one's head around how old it is. I agree. You know, I, I, those it's, it's, there's not even four numbers in the, in the age where it was built originally. No, it's, um, it, I mean, it's interesting. And if you start from today and look back, the church today sits on the original footprint of the original church. That's this amazing. is the third uh, incarnation or manifestation, the, the current building, and it dates, it was finished in 1014 AD, amazing. but it's 
two predecessor churches go back to 453, I think it is, AD, built by Childebert, who was the son of Clovis, at a time, and we all know this, when Paris was centered on the two islands in the middle of the Seine River, where Notre Dame mm -hmm. is, Ile Cité and Ile Saint-Louis. And this particular monastery, abbey, church was set up way out in the <laughs> fields, and hence its name, St. Germain yes. of the Fields. Uh, and eventually, of course, Paris grew up around it. But no, it's it's 1,500 years old. And I, like you, had trouble getting my head around it. And someone pointed out to me that, um, let's think about George Washington, just for a mm -hmm. moment, no mm -hmm. connection, except mm -hmm. he was born in 1732, right? And that strikes me as a very long time ago. Very, and we're, yeah. you know, not far from, uh, you know, some uh, in his 300th uh, anniversary in, in 10 years or so. Right. But George Washington, the, the year he was born, the church was already 700 years old. Oh my gosh. That is I, so I, interesting to compare timelines like that. We yeah, don't what's do old? that all the time. <laughs> no, we <laughs> don't. Old. So it is old. Yeah. And it's the oldest church in Paris. Uh, of that, there is no doubt. Right. Oh my gosh. And, and the work inside, you know, we were speaking briefly before I press record. And when I was younger, I had to do a big report report on some building in Paris. And, you know, I think a lot of my friends were doing Notre Dame or something like that. And I thought, I want to do something that's I haven't heard of or right. as much. And I remember kind of digging around a little bit and finding about this and just being so drawn into the painting and the art and the architecture and the light and all those things. And yeah. it, 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 it just feels very unique in that well, way. I, I would love for you to send me that that document. You <laughs> My drew mother up. probably has. <laughs> yeah, published across the world, I'm sure, in, in multiple languages. But uh, no, it's a wonderful. I mean, well done. It's a wonderful, wonderful church. It speaks for itself. The story and what's happened around and within the church is simply amazing. It's uh, it's just awe inspiring. And what do we know about the artists that? gave their hand to making it look the way it does. Well, as you can imagine, for the first, oh, in the first manifestations, the two, uh, they call them the primitive or early churches, which were eventually uh, knocked down. The, the one that just preceded the current structure was raised and, and, and knocked down by uh, Visigoths and marauders from the north. Um, but so the artists associated with that uh, those buildings, virtually nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, we see the works, but no one in those days signed right, their works. Right. It was, we don't it know was, who they were. No, it was thought to be, you know, this was all offered up in a, in a religious and sometimes political fervor. Mm -hmm. And it was just not done to sign your work. But uh, there are, uh, there's a lot of art in the current church, which again was finished in 1014, uh, some of which is um, is of unknown origin, but a lot of the more recent stuff is, and it's some of the signature works today are by very well-known artists, the principal one of whom is a man named Flandrin, who, mm -hmm. F-L-A-N-D-R-I-N, Flandrin, mm -hmm. who um, was uh, appointed by the, the city to uh rework the interior art uh, running along the, the, the walls of the central nave and elsewhere. And he painted 
in fact, resurrected a painting technique, which was painting in hot wax, if you mm. can imagine. Uh, 10 enormous diptychs, murals running along the, uh, the, the side of the nave. Uh, and so that's 20 scenes, each of which is, as I say, each of these murals is a, um, a vision or a story, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, which speak to each other in some uh, ways, mm-hmm. obviously, in other ways, not obvious at all. I'm not a theologian by any stretch. But you look into it, get into it, some very interesting stuff. So Flandrin is a principal uh, artist, and he's the one who is really, you see when you first walk into the church today, and it is, it is awe-inspiring. Mm. There are many others. There are sculptors. There are some even some modern um, artistry uh, throughout the church here and there. Uh, but it, I would say the principal signature artist is this man named Flandrin. I love that. And there's been, much, I mean, when something is as old as that, I've, I was reading a lot when I first um, heard about this, about the conservation, you know, not attempts, but the, all the conservation that's going on and how long, because again, wax, you mentioned, and, yes. and <laughs> just to go back to that, you know, and just what it takes to even think about the scope of something like that and, and what it takes to kind of feel like gather people around like do we feel like this is important how do we even attempt something like that like a restoration of a part or the whole thing or you know how yeah. how does that unfold well i think there was a crying need for uh, restoration work there hadn't been a restoration since the days of flandrin which is in the 1840s so 160 70 years ago and that a church of course i mean churches and this church are not rolling in money. There's no trust fund to support the maintenance of an ancient building. And things were not falling apart. The church is not going to fall down. It was, it was really very well constructed, has stood the test of time. It's been standing for a thousand years. It's going to stand for the next thousand years. But on the inside, if you think about it, just from the wear and tear of what uh, uh, of what a church does. I mean, it, it, several times a day, many times a week, uh, people flow in, flow out, tourists, um, religious services, concerts, et cetera, et cetera. From the point of view of just humidity mm. and grime. And so the church was, was looking rather decrepit on the inside, mm. very, very, very dark. Yes, and then yes. there, was some, there was some structural issues as well. Uh, again, the church not going to fall down, but you know, stonework needed to be replaced, um, buttresses needed to be replaced, mm-hmm. things like that. And the city of Paris, which owns the church, as it owns all the churches within the city proper, mm-hmm. at least at least the walls, uh, decided that it was time to look into a, a restoration of the of the interior, principally some external elements as well, but most of the interior. And so a committee was formed in Paris to raise funds and to uh, work alongside the uh, city of Paris, their Department of Historic Monuments, to make sure that this restoration was done properly and in a sensitive to all historic, artistic and religious uh, needs uh, that that this restoration would would be done um, as it should be. And what's interesting to most people is to find now that we are perhaps 85 to 90% through the restoration, Mm. 
how absolutely brilliant and colorful this place is. Mm-hmm. One walks into a, a, a Gothic church these days in, in Europe or even in the United States, uh, older church. They're kind of dark and kind of yes. gloomy. Mm-hmm. This church was dark and gloomy, but originally it was a concert of brilliant colors uh, oh throughout. Goodness. And that has been restored and it can be seen today. And it gives you an idea of the kind of place this place was meant to be, both as a religious and a secular edifice, and that people were not walking in filled with doom and gloom, but it was a place of celebration. And it's just yes. so colorful and spectacular. Oh, what that's so rewarding. And to be able to kind of feel like you're stepping back in time to how it was imagined. That was the point. That was the point. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, yeah. So do you, is there sort of a main conservator? How, how does, how is that whole conservation effort handled? Because it's, it's a very good question. And the answer is yes. And very simply, the, the uh, managing director, if you like, of the project from start to finish is the city of Paris mm-hmm. in their Department of Historic Monuments, which, as you can imagine, for a city like Paris, is a very big deal. And they're very, very careful with what they do and what they mm-hmm. allow to be done in their name. And among other things, they appointed a, an, uh, an historic uh, architect um, in, in chief. And he is the man who is running with this project, uh, but in cooperation with the uh, historic monuments department of the city of Paris. And what's really cool, I think, is, and there are, I'll mention our website, on our website, there are some videos of him speaking mm-hmm. about the, the restoration effort. But what I think is really, really cool is that because of the particularities of this church, it being so old, it having, it representing a, a number of different um, artistic techniques that have emerged over the centuries, it's not just anybody who can come in and restore this church. They've had to not only find, but help develop uh, very uh, focused specialists in some strange and wonderful techniques like the wax painting. So, and in a way, the work is perpetuating these artisanal uh, activities, which otherwise, you know, might tend to disappear. Uh, Absolutely. there are um, stained glass windows throughout the church, of course, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, several of which are 800 years old. You think about, wait a minute, glass, that's 800 Amazing. years old. Right. And uh, you just can't take your Windex to this and clean it up. It's very specific and, and difficult to do this properly. And yeah. those people are now uh, heavily involved in doing all this. That's been kind of fun to watch. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the videos on the website and we will have a link to the website um, in the show notes, but there's wonderful videos and you can go in and see people meticulously, you know, bringing this back to life. And, you know, I'm sure many of us have had, you know, watched on television or read about restoration or see maybe had something restored. And it's remarkable what just the daily life puts on something that's a beautiful artwork like that. But I think too, practices of, you know, oil lamps or yes. all the things that, that darkened, you know, life and dirt and 
unpaved roads and things like that, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and one of the other things I, I should have mentioned earlier was, I mean, from time to time, uh, leaks develop oh, in sure. a roof. And sure. can you, can you imagine? No, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I have, um, you, you sent along some really great tidbits and questions. And I want to make sure I ask you some of these because well, please. I'll, there's I'll some try great to answer. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some history uh, with the church about its role with American soldiers, world war one and world war two. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, there, there is a very, very strong American connection to the church. Uh, firstly, uh, well, let me ask, ask, answer your question. We do know uh, there are um, written and even uh, film recordings mm. of soldiers, American soldiers um, coming through Paris uh, at the time of World War I and certainly between the wars and then World War II, where they would stop in and um, attend a religious service or just uh, wander through as a tourist taking in the, the splendid beauty of the place. And um, what's as you probably know, I'm sure you know, Saint-Germain-des-Prés Church uh, is in the middle of the Saint-Germain-des-Prés um, neighborhood, the mm. quartier of Saint-Germain-des-Prés, which is, I think, perhaps the most resonant neighborhood yes, yes. in Paris. I mean, no, no neighborhood speaks Paris more than this particular neighborhood in Paris. It, it, if, to me, if it's quintessential, if you're going to visit Paris, you're going to find yourself there, hopefully. You're going to find yourself there, there's no question. And it's surrounded by wonderful restaurants and cafes and art museums and publishing houses and all this stuff. So the whole neighborhood for a thousand years and to this day, just breathes life as we know it and creativity. And, and so the soldiers and others, uh, American artists uh, would sit. There's the, the, one of the most famous cafes uh, in Paris. In fact, two of the most famous cafes in Paris are directly across the little plaza. And you can sit there on the terrace and look up at this church and just, just take it all in and wonder about all that this church has seen, all that this church has represented over the years. And we do know that Gertrude Stein, um, John Dos Passos, um, uh, Hemingway, I mean, mm. all kinds of people, famous Americans, uh, have noted their presence in and um, uh, about the church. A couple of blocks away from the church, there on the, in the Rue de l'Université, there's a plaque on the wall. I don't know if you saw this. Um, and it was put up to commemorate the meeting of the American delegates who were Franklin, Ben Franklin, John Jay, and I can't remember the third, which is embarrassing. Anyway, the American delegates who met in 1784 with representatives of King George III, where England, for the very first time, actually signed a treaty recognizing the independence of the United States of America. Oh, wow. That, that's about two blocks away. And mm. there, there is no recording of the American delegates uh, wandering into the church. But sure, please, but... <laughs> two blocks <laughs> yeah. away. I mean, <laughs> so it, it's kind of cool to think of Ben yeah. Franklin uh, wandering in uh, to, into the church. So there's, there's a very solid American connection. Uh, and I've heard, by the way, directly from people whose father uh, had been in World War II 
Uh, and had mentioned they're stopping into the church. And so I've heard all kinds of cool stories. So yeah, it's a very strong, strong American connection. I'll bet when taking on this, this charge, you have really had some interesting conversations. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you know, yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah and yeah. what, what was it that made you want to do this and to be part of this? Well, I, I think firstly is I'm just struck by the the beauty and the timelessness of the building, its art, and the role it plays uh, in that neighborhood, which was my neighborhood for 11 years. Right. And the other thing is, I'm working on something which I can actually figure, or literally, sorry, put my finger on and mm-hmm. touch. And it's been around this building for a thousand years. Yeah. It's going to be around for the next thousand years. And we've received this church in trust, as I see it. Mm-hmm. And yes, we are yeah. we're going, we, I mean, I, I haven't done the a lick. We. In, yeah. The greater we, yes. I haven't done any uh, restoration myself, which is a very good thing. <laughs> but um, we're going to pass this church into the next thousand years of history. Uh, I think better for our having taken it into our care. Mm-hmm. And that just, I mean, that timelessness passed today, the future really speaks to me. So that's, it's been a labor of love. Oh, that makes great sense. I think there's something really tangible when you can put your energy into a place or something about a place that has meant so much to you. And in the States, as you said, we don't, I mean, certainly there's amazing history that goes on way further than we, since we have been here, but mm-hmm. it's not always accessible. It's not accessible in a way where you can walk into a building and see absolutely what's come before. So yeah. to be able to invest time and labor, have that be a labor of love is, is a really rewarding thing and bring it to so many more, you know? Absolutely. No, that, that's, that's exactly right, Margot. The, the other thing I would say about this church is that, I mean, as you know, there's, you know, Paris is chock-a-block with wonderful buildings and monuments as are many cities, you know, everywhere basically. But this church is, I find it to be a very intimate place. It's not gigantic the way right, Notre right. Dame is or something. I love that. Or, you know, if you walk into the Louvre Art Museum, who doesn't like that? But it can be a little bit uh, intimidating. It's so big. And so this place whispers to you and it is filled with resonances which speak to various people in various ways. You mentioned I have spoken to a lot of people for whom this building, this church has great, great meaning. And the ways in which this church has great, great meaning vary from A to Mm -hmm. Z. Uh, Japanese tourists from Tokyo uh, who heard a a violin concerto in there years and years ago, Mm -hmm. religious, you know, uh, uh, people of the Catholic or other faiths uh, have religious reasons for loving this church, but it speaks to people in a, in a very quiet, but penetrating way. And I I think that is, it's inspiring. I love that you said that. I think as someone, I, I was fortunate to grow up being able to travel because my dad was an airline pilot for 30 years and it just, you know, afforded us. Sure. It was, it was very affordable. So um, I always felt like if I could take in a place that I was visiting in a way that I felt more like a local, I always liked that more. And I, oh, that's yeah. why I felt like if I don't go to the most 
talked about tourist attractions or the biggest things or the place with the longest line, mm-hmm. where might I go that somebody in the neighborhood might be going or it has sure. tra- attracted people along the way. And I always feel like certainly churches anywhere that are, well, any church really has, really? has, yeah, has a lot of, uh, there's been a great investment of time and, and love for that usually. Uh, yeah. But the older churches you, you feel like you're walking in and so, so many hundreds of years have gone before you. So just Absolutely. to stand there and take yeah. that in yeah. and then look up at the architecture and the artwork. It's just, it's the, I don't know anything more humbling, really a feeling really? that's. Yeah. And I, and I do like the fact that in these older churches, to speak of that so much of, or so many, should I say of the people who have gone before us, either as artists or uh, people who've gone in for religious services. It's, they're anonymous. They're people like you and me. We don't know who they are, but we know they've been there and they've been coming for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and you can't really, with a couple of exceptions, associate this church with a lot of big names. I mean, the history will provide us with some big names, Victor Hugo, among others. But I just like the fact that it's it's, people again like like me who wander in for whatever reason and have taken inspiration from the building the the anonymity and just the namelessness of all those many 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 people speaks to me i do too it's it's a simple yet completely not simple absolutely yeah Yeah, very complex today's episode is brought to you by windowsill workshops What are windowsill workshops, you might ask? They are monthly live workshops featuring one of our clever podcast guests as your creative teacher. Now you can do more than just listen in on your favorite creatives. You can play, create, and experiment with new artistic modalities and outlets and gain hands-on knowledge from our amazing guests. Have you ever wanted to try painting with gouache? Learn the secret of a perfect pie crust? Make your own journal? Block print on a favorite pair of pants? Try paper mache or get the best tips on painted paper collage? Well, Windowsill Workshop takes place live on Zoom the third Saturday of each month at 11 o'clock Pacific Time. That's 2 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Standard Time. And don't worry if you're not able to attend live, though. These workshops are available for replay, so you don't have to miss out on the fun. Windowsill workshops are new each month and give you a chance to ask questions, be in community with others, create connections, and learn a variety of new skills you may have never thought of trying your hand at before. Some of our teachers this year include Tracy English, Dale Bennett, Jennifer Orkin-Lewis, Lori Siebert and Tom Conway. There's one each month. So that's 12 this year, and we're not going to stop there. To learn more about Windowsill Workshops and get all the details on upcoming guests, head on over to www.tantostudio.com backslash Windowsill Workshops, or just head to tantostudio.com and click on the Windowsill Workshops tab. It is never too late to try something new. So come and get creative with us. We have the most fun. So taking on the rebuilding of something like this and the mm-hmm. funding behind that, and right. that must be a Herculean effort. As well, well, I got into it. It's one of those things where I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. I'm very happy to get into it. And I'm not a professional fundraiser by any stretch, 
but I've learned a lot about fundraising, mind you, um, both in France and in, and in the United States. But uh, it was a big effort. I think your listeners might be intrigued to learn that uh, by a contract that was passed between the managing director, the, uh, the city of Paris, and the committee, which is raising funds in, uh, in France and us in the United States, if, uh, 85, that's 85% of the budget for the restoration project, which started in 2012, has to come from private hands. 85%. The city, yeah. Mm. The city of Paris has, I mean, it's been magnificent, uh, has provided something like more or less 15, that's one five mm-hmm. percent of the budget. And you go, wait a minute, what, this, the city owns the church. Well, the city <laughs> ha- owns Every Think church. about it. Every church <laughs> and so many other things right. in, in the city. And they're not enough, there's not enough dollars, euros, whatever to cover all that. Right. So it was agreed that um, 85% would come from private hands. And that's the the target that we have been looking or working towards since in, in the United States since 2013. And we're, we're doing okay, actually, but mm-hmm. uh, with some little ways to go, to be sure. But it is, um, it is tricky. It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, its challenges. And um, we don't hurt for, if you'll, <laughs> I hate to use this word, competition, right. uh, like Notre Dame. Um, right. Well, especially it, now. That's especially quite- now. And we, and we actually did send a, a few dollars to Notre Dame in signs of solidarity. And we hope that Notre Dame comes back more glorious than ever. I'm sure it will mm-hmm. in the fullness of time. But uh, we, you know, we, we took a little bit of a, of a backseat to the Notre Dame effort when the fire happened two years ago. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's, um, it's been a very interesting uh, exercise. Uh, some frustrations, but also a source of great, great satisfaction and happiness and joy when we are able to contribute, uh, you know, a not insubstantial part of the funding. Absolutely. And you've come up with some really interesting and sort of heartfelt ways for people to get involved with that, that, that they can actually, Oh yeah. you know, it feels tangible. Can you talk about that? I can. Uh, we wanted from the outset, I mean, we would love for, you know, big donors to write big checks and that that's all fine and good. But we wanted to, in the spirit of the church, make this accessible to donors of all uh, and supporters of all sizes. People of very, very with small donations is great. We've and we've done very well there. I think you may be referring to uh, one of the programs we put together, which is Adopt a Star. I love in that. the in the ceiling of this church, which again is a thousand years old, the current structure. The, 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 the ceiling is an arched vault, runs maybe 300 feet in length. It is a very dark, dark, rich um, blue, and it's filled with something like 3,500 gold stars. It's really look, remarkable. It, it's I'll, remarkable. I'll make sure to have pictures on, on the page as well. It, it's, it's just, it's breathtaking. It is. It really is. And so um, we, uh, in fact, my French colleagues put this together, uh, digitalized uh, most, not all, there's some more to do, of those stars, and they are adoptable on either the French website or our website, and we contribute to the same bank account, so we're not, we're working in lockstep. So great. 
which is great. And a donor or a supporter can come in and for $100, $100 can adopt a star on the website and then name it mm. for a loved one, for a cause, or do it anonymously. And if you go onto the website and you run the cursor over all these stars, oh you can God. see previous donors. Um, and it's just very meaningful to those, those people. I've heard from a lot of them. Uh, to be able to put something on the website, uh, which makes you really part of the restoration project. And all that money goes um, right to, uh, right to the, the bank in Paris, which is the bank for the restoration. So uh, we're an all-volunteer organization. We have very low overhead. Um, and so it all, but it's neat to be able to, you know, name a star for a grandchild or a, a departed. We've had a couple of uh, people who have named them for, um, comrades who they, they've lost in a war, things mm. like that. So it's very, very special. Well, and I think that's such a clever way to do it because some a project like this seems so daunting when you think that 85% of the funds need to be raised and it's a huge undertaking. So it feels vast and kind of untouchable. And it feels like one of those things that you think like somebody else is going to do that. Yeah. Somebody yeah, else yeah, is yeah. going to have to do that. Or the government or the go- something, some other Catholic, entity. The Catholic church, which is which, right. Yeah. Which is, which is not, I mean, they, they, they do not uh, have not uh, provided any funding um, for this, this building. Some people ask me that question. This is a joint exercise between the city of Paris, 15% and the rest of us. 85%. It, it's for the people. It really it's for, like the it's people. for the people. Yeah. So yeah. being able to, know and and find where your star is and and at some point when we can easily go back and visit again walk in and and realize that you had a part in that oh what an amazing what an amazing, amazing feeling yeah you know it's been so successful margo that we are right now if you look on the website we're running out of stars at least those that have been digitalized we wow. have i don't know not not very many left we're hoping and there's we can talk about covid in a minute yeah. we are hoping uh in this winter later on this winter to digitalize i.e make available another section of stars but um th- these have been taken up uh, rather readily and surprising yeah, okay. happily, all of us. Uh, so there are only there are not that many left uh, available. It's it's quite clear where they are and on the website. But it's um, we're we're looking to to add more to the mix um, as we as we move into the, the the back part of the winter into the spring. Well, and and too, you know, for those of us who love visiting or have great memories of visiting Paris, to to be able to have a little something that we leave behind in some way. Oh, like I agree. A wonderful I opportunity. Agree. Yeah. Which so, is, yeah, which is not, it's not, it's not show off at all. It's very no. subtle. No, it's yeah. great. You don't have to, to tell anybody your little twinkling no. star is up there. That's right. It's up there. <laughs> so has COVID slowed down the process? Yes. Must have, in of fact, course. yes, of course. Uh, the project was laid out in 2012 and it was supposed to finish at the end of 2020. Okay. Um, and preservation projects traditionally, uh, run long and run over budget through 2000, the early part of 2020. Uh, amazingly, this project was on budget and was respecting the initial time frame given out. Towards the, the, by the very end of 2020, there was a little bit of slippage in terms of time. So we said, sure. okay, 2021. Then 
COVID raised its <laughs> ugly head. Uh, and, and in this country, it was what, February, March of 2020, yeah. a touch later, maybe in France. And of course, with COVID, all the restrictions, all the quarantining, all of this and that, and the project was shut down. There oh, is completely. completely. Um, I mean, the conservation work involved conservators and restorers up in scaffoldings working side by side. Uh, the church itself was shut down mm-hmm. for about, a, I think about a year, not quite. There, no one was going in whatsoever. Now the church is fully open for services and you can come in, but, you know, respecting all the, the sanitary recommendations, et cetera, et cetera. But for about a year now, work has stopped and we're waiting for the green light from the city of Paris mm. to undertake the fifth and final tranche of works, oh, wow. uh, which is why I say 85 to 90% of the works have been done. And it is spectacular, moving people to tears. Oh, but we have a little bit more to go. And the problem is that COVID has affected not only our project, but so many things in yes. Paris and in France. So we're waiting for the Department of Historic Monuments to get to our uh, application oh, for okay. a green light to get the works restarted. And it's a big deal. Scaffolding was taken down with put scaffolding back up, things oh, wow. like that. Yeah. So um, we're hoping any time we don't have a sense of it. Right. Uh, we don't know what the final form of it will be. But we do know that there is a final tranche to be done. Now, that said, uh, I said earlier, our funding had been keeping on par and up to uh, abreast of works as they progressed. Towards the very end, just as our works were shutting down, we were running a little bit behind mm-hmm. in the fundraising. And so things have been restored at the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the phase four, for example, which are still looking for final funding. So as funds come in today, we can apply those to finalize the funding of completed works. In fact, elsewhere on the website, uh, for more for people who have an interest in this, there are more substantial beyond the, the stars, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that can be Certainly. adopted. Some of Flandrin's murals can be adopted. Uh, and that will bring us right up to uh, par uh, funding matching works. And then we'll wait and see what happens when the green light for phase five comes through. But exactly. there's been no new works for not quite a year now, which has been oh, frustrating, but very. entirely understandable. So if you walked in right now, the scaffolding's yes. down? Down. Okay. So you can see, if you were able to walk in right now, the old and yes. the new. Or Abs- the re- redone, restored. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's um, yeah, it's it's amazing. You can okay. the part that has to see that. yet to be done is well. <laughs> I mean, it's it 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 would show you mm-hmm. what the the church before restoration looked like. And once again, I don't want to harp on our website, but there are a lot of photos on our website. It's really the, well done yeah. of before the restoration work started, and the place is gloomy. Uh, and dark. Um, and so we're, we're trying to finish off the bit, which still remains to be finished. And that bit is kind of dark. Yeah. So. Well, it, and, it, and think again, you know, a star is one thing, but thinking about what you could potentially 
adopt. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it, anyway, uh, people who are interested can have a look on the website. There's stuff that's available, uh, stuff that has been supported by very generous donors mm-hmm. for which we are um, very, very grateful. Uh, and as I say, I want to reiterate that we are working in total lockstep with the French committee on the other side of the, of the waters, all of whom I know personally are, are friends of mine. And there's been no discrepancy or error whatsoever between you know, fundraising techniques, tactics, how the money's applied, et cetera, et cetera. And all of this is being overseen by the city of Paris. So fascinating. I'm curious as to you who are so familiar with it, what are a few of your very favorite things? Like when you go in, you have to see this or you love this little bit of history. Oh, there's so much. Well, I mentioned earlier the stained glass windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, oh God, I, could, I don't know how many there are. Some of which are very contemporary. I think there are, no, there are two of the original stained glass windows in their original positions in the church. And one can go in and see them to this day. They're 800 years old. Eight nine hundred years old. Uh, there were four, two of which are in the uh, the Clooney Museum down mm-hmm. the street. And interestingly, I didn't know this until much uh, after I got started. Two of the original eight hundred nine hundred year old stained glass windows are. Are you ready? In the United States, really? One, yes, one at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Okay. And one at the Walters Art Museum in Baltimore. How those two windows got there are stories unto themselves. Yes. But in all of this, to come back to the church, I like the I like just looking at glass that's been there for more than 800 years in this fine lattice work of, of lead. Mm-hmm. I love that. There's another um, piece of art called the smiling, the statue of the smiling virgin. And she is a statue picture on the website, which cannot be restored, has suffered the ravages of time and is very, very fragile. And she's called the the smiling Madonna or the smiling Virgin. If you see, she has the most beautiful beatific Mm -hmm. smile as she's holding the Christ child. And it's it. It, it, It speaks love and motherhood and warmth. It's not huge. But yeah. it's it's there, and that is worth seeing by all means. Oh, and then, of course, wonderful. some some of the spectacular murals, the Flandrin. Um, it you can see it, look at it with no knowledge of the iconography behind it, or you can go in equipped with the iconography and the the biblical stories. And it's just fascinating stuff. But it's there's a there's a chapel on the side where there was a massacre of priests during oh, the 1790 uh, the, Re- the French Revolution. Yeah. Um, oh, I was very... going to ask about the French Revolution. Too. Oh, that's, there's a lot to be said there. <laughs> Don't get me started, Margot. Uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, there's there's endless things to see. As I said earlier, the, the, the church is intimate. You can walk in, spend 10, 15 minutes in it and walk away, look at one or two things and walk out and just be refreshed and, and restored in your faith and humanity and the, the power of art and faith and all kinds of things. And then go back to the next day for 10 or 15 minutes and see something else. It's, it's, it's so visitable. It's not a huge tourist transaction, or sorry, transaction, a tourist site, I misspoke. There are not long lines to get in, except at certain religious services. Um, and you can just wander in and have a look. 
It's yeah. open, I think, 24 hours a day, wow. every day. And it just is, is, is yours if you want to make it yours. Uh, so, and, and parts of it speak to me, other parts of it speak to other people. Just go and have a look. I love that. I love that your passion for it comes out in oh, well. <laughs> in so many ways. And it's just, again, it's something that it's a place we can go that's that's an, in a neighborhood. It's for the people. It's not set out to be a big attraction, but yeah. it ends up being that because of its beauty and history and the fact that it's just, it's there for everyone. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is terrific. It's just terrific. It's not a place necessarily that if one goes to the to Paris for the first time, there's a list of four or five things that you sort of sure. have to do. The Eiffel Tower, the, the Arc de Triomphe, the Louvre, and you're almost ticking them off. This is not a tick box place, I don't right. think. It's a place to to return to again and again. Yeah. And just to wander into and, and just yeah. soak it up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm so, so grateful that you came and shared that with us. And I'm going to go find a star. And, oh. and see, see, see what I could do with that and who I can dedicate that to. And, and, you know, I just, I just really appreciate knowing a little bit more about something that meant a lot to me. Um, just from, I've, I've, I've studied it and I can't wait to go back and walk in and, and look at it with different set of eyes. So thank it's you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me, uh, to, to join you today it's um, it's a very very special place, and it's not just a French place or not just a Parisian place. I think it speaks for a lot of reasons to a lot of people from all over the world. And the proof of that is we're speaking with people from I've spoken to people from New Zealand and Scotland and Japan, and it, it's meaningful to them. It's meaningful to me, and this is it's it. It's just, just so great to be a part of it. Oh, but thank you, Margo, for your time. Absolutely. It, this is just, it's a wonderful thing to, to just broaden our thought process a little bit and know that as creatives, you know, what does that mean? And what has that meant over centuries and in different ways? And just kind of take that in and, and realize it's, it's greater than all of us. But It's, it's greater so- than all of us. Yeah. I mean, we, we, will, we will pass into the, into the next beyond. This is here to stay. It really is. I I like that. I love that. So, you know, one of the things I was reading was that when they walled the city, of course, you know, we think of, of this area as being where we, you, you have to go because of the cafes and the stores and the streets and the church and everything, but it was beyond, it was out in the field, as you said, the name implies. And, and so it was unprotected and the Abbey next door, which I know early on. And I mean, like in the early, maybe before the, even the tower was built, but um, it was raised, but then it came back. And so tell me a little bit more about, about some of that history. Well, I, I'll, boy, there's so much. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I'd mentioned the current building is a thousand years old. It was completed in 1014 which makes it about 100 years older in completion than Notre Dame, um, just to give you a, t- a time frame. But before the current building, there were two other structures. The first was built in 453 or finished in 453. The second, it was, you know, to be honest, I can't remember what happened to it. But I do know that it, it fell down, knocked down. It was wooden. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was replaced by a, a stone structure uh, afterwards. That one was knocked down, raised by raging uh, vandals and Visigoths in the ninth century who came to Paris. But all of this was happening while Saint-Germain-des-Prés, which, as you know, means Saint-Germain, Saint who was the first bishop of Paris mm-hmm. uh, and first um, bishop of the church, uh, was out in the fields, literally way out there in, in the fields uh, beyond the city of Paris, centered on the two islands in the center of the Seine River. Uh, that The city of Paris eventually became walled, mm-hmm. uh, but still Saint-Germain-des-Prés was out oh, a, a couple of kilometers away from the center of, um, of town. Eventually Paris uh, grew up uh, and surrounded it. So there you have a church then that's built in the, the current structure, finished in 1014. The current tower was built then. There are bells today in the tower, which date from then, then which ring today as they rang a thousand mm, years ago. Yeah. And then, you know, history didn't stop in 1014. Uh, a number of of, of amazing events have taken place uh, around and about the church. I mentioned the, the Benedictine order, which was established mm-hmm. in Italy, actually, was actually found a home, a permanent home, in the abbey and at the church of Saint-Germain-des-Prés, and for about 400 years was the seat of the Benedictine order. Wow. All kinds of famous Benedictines uh, took residence and uh, worked there, both uh, on um, religious and, and secular matters. Mm-hmm. And over time, the church became a center for great intellectual thought and accomplishment. All kinds of non-religious philosophers, mathematicians, scribes worked within the walls of the abbey uh, at Saint-Germain-des-Prés. Uh, in the 13th century, Saint-Germain-des-Prés was heavily involved with the uh, back and forth, if you like, with the um, founding of the Sorbonne University, which most people date, I believe, you have to give me a little leeway, to about 1215, 1230 along in there. And, so because uh, those thinkers were in that, you know, it, that became a place for them to be just structurally and location Paris, but then the university grew particular maybe from that or from some of the thinkers and the thinking in there and and the the, the the oh no there's no question but that that is the case the 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 monitor of the monastery now the abbey sorry had a well i should say worldwide absolutely uh first rate f- hugely famous across all of europe library mm-hmm. and the library house uh, so many manuscripts um, that were all hand printed. And then eventually when, when Mr. Gutenberg and, and his crowd came through were eventually produced um, mechanically in, inside the Abbey, but it was a, a, le- a center of great learning. Oh. And Robert de Sorbonne, who was the man, the namesake of the Sorbonne University and his crowd were involved in many theological and sometimes fiery theological mm-hmm and secular debates of the day. Gosh. Uh, and th- a lot of that took place within the walls of this abbey uh, during the time of the, of the residence of the Benedictines. Uh, and there was some um, very famous uh, historically uh, corroborated episodes of um, philosophical debates raging out of control. Um, and, uh, so there was, a, there was a back and forth between the, the, the Sorbonne university 
and the uh, Sagement des Prés. Sagement des Prés then became or was a center of learning for visiting scholars from all over Europe. Gosh. So it's um, it, it has a very heady mm -hmm. intellectual atmosphere to it. Um, uh, it. It's just amazing to me. When you add that to the, you know, just to the structure itself of what we see today as a as a beautiful church and with, you know, wax paintings and things like that. But you think of the the non-literal foundation of it and yes. the minds holding it up, you know, and, and the thoughts, pro thought processes. It's really it, it, interesting. It, it's extraordinary stuff. It really is. Now, the library, the, the, the contents of the, that library over time have uh, moved to uh, other places within Paris. There's the National Library. There's the Francois Mitterrand Library. There's the Cluny Museum and so forth. So one can't go into the place today expecting to see illuminated manuscripts as mm -hmm. one could 400 years ago. Sure. But it's where these things were produced in great, great number. Mm. Uh, and, uh, so, and one can see them in other places. But um, this was I mean, one of the great intellectual centers of learning in all of Europe um, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Which makes sense that um, then the art and the treatment inside the chapel would be as it was too, because to celebrate that kind of gathering of minds and, and, and just to have that be, like you said, secular and non-secular, have those panels work together and, and just, just all of it, all, everything worked together and all those minds. I just, that really is interesting when you think about the Sorbonne and how it started there. And right. No, no, it is interesting. How and that whole like area it, grew up. The whole, the whole the area grew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it still has that feeling now of, of a, of a thinking it's, active it's, it's place. Some people, now you might get an argument. A lot of people would think it's in some ways <clears throat> the intellectual center of Paris today. And why do people say that? It's uh, Saint-Germain-des-Prés is, is really the home of um, so many cultural uh, mm -hmm. uh, organizations, um, publishing houses. It's the, it's the center of publishing in, in, in Paris. As, uh, the, um, the, 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 the central um, medical school of Paris is just down the street. The uh, all kinds of academies and art academies are uh, nearby. It just goes on and on. And the gallery scene, the art yes, gallery scene yes. today is, is absolutely vibrant beyond words mm. in the neighborhood. And it all sits at the foot of this and kind of perpetuates this very heady intellectual and artistic tradition that permeates the neighborhood and the church. So it's all very, very interesting. It, it really is. If I could add, sorry. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, an, an architectural note. The church was put together, uh, finished in 1014, and this is before the Gothic period. And it was a Romanesque church uh, mm -hmm. originally. And we mm -hmm. see that in some of the dome work and the way it was mm -hmm. constructed. And then over time, as the Gothic and high Gothic period took hold, look at Notre Dame and the, and the great cathedrals of France and Reims and elsewhere, there were very strong Gothic uh, touches, significant touches added to the church as it grew and, and, was, and changed over time. And one can walk through the church today and see very, very strong influences of Gothic and high Gothic architectural uh, aspects to the church. So you have, it's a, it's a mixture of Romanesque, 
uh, Gothic, high Gothic, and even coming all the way, there's some modern touches, very mm. subtle mm -hmm. here and there. And it makes for a really interesting mix and a place that is, is unique. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm convinced there's no place like it anywhere. So again, worth the visit. Well, when you think of the culture, I mean, just to pick a word, because it has vast sort of threaded reach mm -hmm. um, with all of that history. And, and you mentioned too, when, when I <laughs> wasn't recording, I said, come back, um, you know, like the French revolution and what they did with the church and, oh. and you know, their thinking and how change needed to happen. And physically they changed it because they, yeah, they, they did. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story very quickly. The church was built, uh, the current building. Um, and when I say current, I hear myself speak. I think, well, that, that almost <laughs> sounds as though it's new, which it's not, but right. anyway, it had three towers only one of which survives today. And it's the central tower across the front door. That's the one that's a thousand years old. But until the French Revolution, there were two towers sort of in the back uh, and there are lithographs of it. One can see them. At the time of the French Revolution, the church, like many, many churches in Paris, was deconsecrated by the revolutionaries, we call sure. them. And so it lost its status as a church. And in fact, many priests suffered uh, the deprivations uh, and physical hardships yeah. and even put to death yeah, by some of the revolutionaries. So the church was uh, turned into something other than a church. And in fact, during the French Revolution, it was turned into, among other things, a warehouse for, are you ready, gunpowder. Mm. It was a storage place for gunpowder. And in the course of time, I think it was in 1792, the gunpowder exploded. And the two towers in the back were very, very badly damaged, as were some adjoining walls in the abbey and so on. And so it was decided following the, uh, the end of the French Revolution, the two towers were taken down and no longer exist. And in fact, there was high talk of taking down the church entirely, i.e. Raise, raising it to the ground. And among other people, it was Victor Hugo mm. who coordinated and led a, an effort to ensure that the church would not be raised, that it would be restored. It's, uh, it was reduced a little bit in size because the abbey was no longer there other than the, the, the palace next door. Mm -hmm. And so Victor Hugo was instrumental in ensuring the church would live on. And so restoration works were done in the 1810s, 1820s. That led to the appointment of Flandrin and his wonderful murals and other things in the 1840s. And then about 1860, when all that was done, restoration came to a, a halt, hmm. as far as I can tell, until we got started in 2012. So <sighs> it's, um, and it was high time, as we said earlier, but uh, it's, this is a living building, which has had, you know, moments of, of both high and low, shall we yeah. say. Well, um, and it's, it's interesting to think, you know, Hugo thought in his time, oh my gosh, <laughs> he probably didn't say it quite that way. <laughs> you know, I, it's really important to undergo a way to keep what we still have here and the, uh, and, and the importance of it needs to pass down through history. And you're picking up that torch or that paintbrush and, and saying, let's keep doing that. And I just, 
it's so interesting how all the history comes together. And it, I, it really is. It really is. And it makes of this place today, not a museum, but a living, yeah. a, a breathing center for all that's, that's right with humanity. Uh, and I, I haven't mentioned there are, I mean, obviously there are, um, you know, church services all the mm-hmm. time. They're mm-hmm. very well attended. It's, it's, it, it, they're, it's an amazing place, but there's also um, all the time uh, the church has its own website, of course, the um, uh, concerts, organ mm. concerts, uh, cl- mostly classical music. Uh, there have been gospel choirs from New York who've come mm. through Wonderful. and it people flock in all the time for the music of the place. It, it, it just goes on and on and on. And so we're very happy to contribute to that in some small way. Wonderful. Oh, well, I'm so glad that the effort is going on and that it's, it's really almost done. You have to, the city needs to weigh in and we need to, uh, you know, make sure the funding is there and the artists can come back and. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So um, it's, it's been great. And you had mentioned earlier, why did I ever get involved in this? And I think uh, it should be pretty clear yeah. But it really speaks to me and it's something so much bigger than any of us. Um, yeah. I just enjoy being a, a very small part of it. Well, I'm glad you are. And I'm glad you've, you've shed some light on it with the rest of us. For well, the rest thank of you, Margo. Thank you for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. That's it for this episode of Windowsill Chats. Thanks so much for being here with me. It's just so great to be able to bring you these conversations with the fantastic people and wonderful friends that I've met and made along the way. Make sure you subscribe to Windowsill Chats on your favorite podcast app and please share it with a friend. And if this episode spoke to you, I'd really appreciate it if you would also leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can just go to the bottom of the episode you've just listened to and it'll let you leave a review. If you have any questions or want to check out more details or inspiration that we talked about, head over to the show notes at windowsillchats.com or tantowstudio.com. They'll both take you to the same place. I can't wait to share more stories with you again next week. I value your time and I absolutely believe in your potential. Have a great one, everyone, and stay creatively curious.